Amen. I want to share with you this morning part of an article written by a Mr. Chad Gibbs called God and Football. God and Football. He has a book by the same title I noticed in the bookstore, I guess, this past week. He writes, Welcome to the American South, where God and football scrimmage daily for the people's hearts and minds. Perhaps you think this is an overstatement. Think of it this way. Suppose an alien were to visit Tuscaloosa, Knoxville, or Baton Rouge. And if you don't believe in aliens, you can substitute a Canadian. Suppose this visitor, we'll call him Corso, were to spend a week observing the ordinary citizens of those towns. And we used to live in Knoxville, and so we know exactly what he's writing about here. What do you think Corso the alien would conclude about the religious beliefs of those average, everyday people? Well, on Sunday morning, he'd probably see them make their groggy, wrinkle-shirted way to a steeple building where some sort of ceremony had begun ten minutes before they arrived. Inside, he'd watch as they mouthed the words to songs and then struggled to stay awake while a man spoke for less than 25 minutes. Then for the rest of the week, this place would be the furthest thing from their minds unless by chance something tragic happened. Corso might be justified in concluding that church for most was a court ordered punishment. On Saturday, Corso would see something completely different. The people would wake up early, carefully choose an outfit based on the good fortune it had brought them in the past, then drive sometimes for hours to a hallowed campus where some sort of ceremony is scheduled for much, much later that day. All afternoon, they would eat, drink, and fellowship with friends, family, and strangers. Then when the time came, they would all enter a colossal shrine and join tens of thousands of similarly dressed and like-minded people. Inside, they would chant and sing until they lost their voices. And after, they would celebrate like they're at a wedding reception on Fat Tuesday. He says, after he sees this, I think it's safe to, to say Corso would think he's found the one true religion and he'll probably convert on the spot. He goes on to write, we've established that God and football are both pretty big down here. But which is bigger? Well, I've got a theory. When you attend a church here, you will almost certainly hear people talking about football. Worshippers will gather before the service and discuss in reverent tones what went right and wrong the day before. The pastor will usually reference Saturday's happenings by either praising a team's win or mourning its loss, while oftentimes taking a playful dig at the misfortunes of a rival school. Churches sometimes encourage this blending of faith and fanaticism with wear your team's colors day or by having viewing parties for big games with halftime testimonies, naturally. Conversely, God doesn't get a lot of play in the SEC stadiums unless a player injures his neck or your team is lining up for a last second field goal. And sometimes God is called upon to do some damning, usually of referees or offensive coordinators, but that's it. The SEC doesn't really have to add God or anything else to their product to fill the seats. There is no wear your denomination's colors to the game day. Churches have to schedule around football. Apart from tailgates and viewing parties, a church event planned on Saturday in the fall is guaranteed to be a colossal failure. So far as I can tell, the SEC does not have to consult the churches when it makes its schedule. 
It makes sense to me that if one thing has to schedule around another, then that thing isn't as important to the people participating. Apart from Christmas and Easter, only tragedy gives churches those SEC-like attendance numbers they so greatly desire. The first weekend following September 11th, all 12 SEC stadiums sat empty while the churches were filled to capacity. Depending on national calamities isn't really the best strategy to increase church attendance. But what can churches do? The people have chosen today what they will worship. And it looks like God is two and a half touchdown underdog to the Tigers, Bulldogs and Gators. The people have chosen. Now, before you write me off as a football hater, nothing could be further from the truth. I enjoy football. I'd enjoy it more if the Panthers were a better team. But nonetheless, I enjoy football. Danielle from Pennsylvania, we enjoy watching Penn State play. And we can find it on the television. We'll do that. And uh, we enjoy that. But you know what? This author made me stop and think. This author made a valid point. We could substitute all sorts of things in there in the place of football. But the truth of the matter is, is people have chosen They've chosen many things over God. I want to ask you, Christian, listen, what are your priorities today? What are your priorities today? Is God truly number one in your life before your family, before your spouse even? Is God number one in your life? Do you care about what God cares about? Do you care about what God cares about? Are you more excited about God than you are football or basketball or soccer or baseball or NASCAR or hobbies or crafts or traveling or whatever you fill in the blank? Are you more excited about God than you are anything else in this life? We've been studying the book of Jonah. We're going to finish up that study today. We find that Jonah was a man who had mixed up his priorities for sure. His latest passion was a gourd. A gourd plant, a plant that grew up and gave him some shade. We're not sure exactly what type of plant this was. The King James says gourd. Another version talks about a vine called a plant here in the New King James. Some believe it's the castor oil plant. But whatever it was, he loved this thing. He loved this plant. He loved this gourd. But God took away his treasured plant. He sent a little worm with a big appetite to do a number on it and destroy it. And the hot wind blew and so did Jonah. He explodes with anger and he wishes that he were dead. Let's read it again this morning. All right. Got your attention now? (laughs) Wake up. Jonah chapter four. Jonah chapter four. Those listening on the Internet say, what in the world happened? Well, the lights went out. Jonah chapter four, beginning at verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. Slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said in verse four, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. 
There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. The first time I read in the whole book that Jonah is happy and grateful about something over this plant. Look at verse number seven. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? I want you to notice what Jonah said. And he said, verse nine, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than one hundred and twenty thousand persons who cannot discern between their right and their left hand and a much livestock. Now, why was Jonah angry in the first place? Back up to the last verse of chapter three. Talking about the Ninevites, it says, then God saw their works. They turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. In other words, those people in Nineveh turned from their wicked ways and they were wicked people. They were pagan people. They were they were awful people. But they repented at the preaching of Jonah, turned from their wicked ways, and they were gloriously saved. And we read the very next verse of chapter four that Jonah is angry about that. Jonah is angry with the Lord. And as weird as we said, when we are angry with God, everything in life gets out of perspective. We say and do selfish things. Things become more important than people and comfort more important than ministry. We find that in Jonah's life. He cared about things. He cared about that plant, not people. He cared about his comfort, not ministry. Jonah has become so self-centered, so selfish, so self-consumed here. He thought the very best thing that can happen to me is that I die. God, please take my life. And God tries to bring him to his senses. God asks him twice. He says in verse four, is it right for you to be angry? We don't find Jonah answering him. Then it says again uh, in verse number nine, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah answers this time. It is right for me to be angry even to death. But here's the glorious thing, beloved. God was not through. He loved Jonah. And he's going to use that cherished plant, that gourd plant, whatever it was, this shade plant. To teach Jonah a lesson, I believe, he never forgot. Now, what was that lesson, preacher? Here it is. Write it down big and bold. God cares about people. God cares about people. Basically, God said two things to Jonah here in this passage. He said, first of all, to Jonah, you have pity for a plant. Look at verse number 10. 
But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. He says, listen, Jonah, you didn't labor for that plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't fertilize it. You didn't work it. You didn't water it. This plant comes up, very short growing plant. It says it came up in the night and perished in the night. You didn't cause it to grow, yet you pitied this plant. You cherished this plant. You miss it. And then God lays it all bare for Jonah in the next verse. He says, Jonah, you have pity for a plant, but I have pity for people. I have pity for people. Look at verse number 11. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. In other words, Jonah, look at the big city of Nineveh. It's filled with people. It's filled with livestock. I was going to destroy it all, but they repented and I relented. The 120,000 people there that can't discern between their right and left hands, that's probably the children, just the children of Nineveh. Imagine how large a population to have 120,000 children. He says, Jonah, your priorities are messed up. You care more about a plant than you do people. You care more about a plant than you do little babies being killed. You care more about a plant than you do the eternal souls of men and women, boys and girls. And sad to say, I think that God has said the very same thing to us. And substitute other things in the place of that plant saying, listen, you care more about that than you do about the souls of people. Now, here's the thing about Jonah. If you never read the book before, or if you read it for a long time, you get to the end and you read it and it just ends. I mean, you read that. God says it to Jonah and doesn't say, and so Jonah did this or that and the other. What happened? It kind of ends abruptly. Did Jonah get the lesson? Did Jonah learn the lesson? Was Jonah's life changed? I believe it was. I believe he got the lesson. You say, well, preacher, why do you say that? What's your basis? Well, because he wrote the book. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he wrote the book of Jonah, he showed his picture warts and all. Listen, if this was our story and God was going to have us write it, would you have let that part out? You say, hey, I went and preached a big revival. And man, everybody got saved. It was glorious. Amen. Praise the Lord. The end. Jonah didn't write that. Jonah wrote about being in the belly of that fish. He wrote about being fish vomit up on the shore. He wrote about being mad and angry at God and crying out, wanting to die. But God didn't give up on Jonah. Listen, Christian, God is not going to give up on you. What are you passionate about? I want you to consider this question in your own life. You see, God ends the book. With a question. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? And I believe God wants us to consider that question in our own lives. In other words, what are you passionate about, Christian? What do you love? Is your life consumed with gourds or with God? What excites you? What gets you passionate Do you care about what God cares about? Listen, God cares about the souls of people. Now, this is not to say that God does not care about uh, plants and and, and livestock. He he talks about that in animals and the nature around us. He created it. He gave us all these things. But listen, people are worth more than plants and animals. Do we care about what God cares about? We say we believe the Bible. 
We say as Baptists, amen. We believe this is the inherent, inspired, infallible Word of God. It's the final authority. It's the dictate to our lives. Everything we do, everything we believe, everything we stand for. We believe it. We believe the Bible. We believe the Bible teaches the heaven and the hell. We believe the Bible says that a person's going to go to hell if they don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, amen, preacher. We believe that. But do we live it? Do we live it? It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to amen it. It's another thing to go out and share the gospel with people and live a life of consistency, a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm going to say something very bold today. You cannot be right with God and not care about the souls of men. You cannot be right with God and not care about the souls of men. Now, I didn't say you could be a Christian. You can be a cold, backslidden Christian. But you're not right in your fellowship with God if you don't care about souls. Because God cares about souls. And if you're in fellowship with God, you're rejoicing with God and you're growing in the Lord. You're going to be growing in your passion to reach others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah knew God. Jonah had correct theology. I mean, he wrote about God being uh, there in uh, chapter four, verse two. You're gracious, God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're loving kindness. You're, you're one that relents from doing harm. He had correct theology. But he had a horrible, rotten attitude. I mean, it was rotten. He had a cold heart. Here's a man that knew God. He cared more about a plant than he did people. And God's not going to leave him there. And Christian, God's not going to leave you there either. God is working in your heart and your life. Do you care about what God cares about? Are you involved in the great commission or the great omission? Are you seeking to go forth to all the nations and make disciples? Or are you just kind of sitting on the sidelines saying, well, praise the Lord, I'll pray for the preachers, he goes. God has called you to go forth with the gospel. God has called you to minister to people. God has called you to share the gospel. And listen, we care for people that are lost and saved. We care for one another. We care for people. We're concerned about people. It's not about numbers. It's not about programs. It's about people. It's about people that need Jesus. It's about people that are hurting and broken and longing for peace and satisfaction in life that's only found the Lord Jesus. And here we have it. We have it. We know it. We know him. We have it. And yet we keep our mouths closed. We're too busy. With everything else in the world. David Jeremiah had some good words from this passage. Talking about the question he said that really God was asking us. Is it going to be comfort or compassion? In other words, is your comfort more important than my compassion? Do you really think the gourd is worthy of your pity? And, and, and the souls of lost men are not. He said it came down to God asking Jonah. Is it material or spiritual you're interested in? Is the material more important than the spiritual? A gourd and all material things are here today and gone forever. But the souls of human beings are made in the image of God and they're going to live forever. I want you to think about that. Your house, your car, your possessions, your clothes, your gold, your silver, everything you have, it's all going to pass away. But you're going to live somewhere eternally and so is every other person upon the face of this earth. And it came down to temporal versus eternal. Is the temporal more important than the eternal? Do we have the right perspective on this life versus eternal life? Do we live as if this earth is our home or 
as if eternity is our home. Listen, there was a time we used to talk about and sing about and think about that we're just pilgrims passing through. This world is not my home. And yet we've settled down as believers. We've gotten comfortable in this world. Listen, this is not our home. Our home is heaven. Our home is glory. We're passing through. Our time is limited. The souls of men and women, boys and girls are dying around us. And we want to reach them with the gospel and share the gospel and reach our community for Christ. Red Hill Baptist Church is not here just for your comfort and your convenience. Yes, what a glorious body to be a part of. I love our church. I love all of you. I love the fellowship we have. I love we worship with another. But listen, God has called us to go out into the highways and hedges and reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we doing it? Next week is our friend day. We're trying to reach our community with Christ. We're trying to reach out to those who don't know him or those who fall away from him. Have you been praying about that? Have you been praying for friend day? Have you been praying for those you're going to invite and others are inviting? Have you been praying for me that I'll know the exact message God wants me to deliver? Have you picked up any invitations today? Are you planning on picking them up at the end of the service? Are you making a conscious effort that God helping you? You're going to be one that's going to personally take an invitation and say, listen, would you come to church with me on Sunday? We're having a special day. It's a friend day. We're having a meal. We just want you to come. Won't cost you anything. We're not going to ask you to give anything. We just want you to come. We want to show our love for you and your family. No matter who they are. I don't care who they are. Are you going to be involved? Do you care about the souls of people? Where are your priorities, Christian? Think about your life. What do you care about? What are you passionate about? What are you sold out to? It's often been said... You can pretty much figure out a person's priorities by looking at two things. Their calendar and their checkbook. You know why that's true? Because that reflects how we spend our time and our money. And you know what? When we look at how we spend our time and our money, that shows us truly what is important in our lives. What we're giving our time to and what we're giving our money to. Listen, if Corso from opening article were to come and visit you for a week... And stay at your home and and go with you places when he's done at the end of the week. What would he say about your family and your life and your priorities? Would he say, well, man, church is a part and God is a part, but certainly not first part of their life. How about it? How are you doing in these areas? How are you doing in your calendar, your time and your checkbook, your money? Is the Lord reflected first in those areas? Is the Lord there first? Does it clearly show that he has first place in my life? Does it show that you care about what God cares about? God cares about people. God cares about men and women and boys and girls who are lost and dying and going to hell. God cares about people that know him and are struggling God cares about people. Do you care about people? You say, well, I'm too busy to care. Well, then you're too busy. The Lord Jesus left the splendors of heaven and came. Perfect God joined in flesh. Perfect God, perfect man joined in the flesh. Lived as a man among men. 
touched, healed, hurt, cried, experienced hunger and pain and sleepiness and all that we experience except for sin. He never sinned. But then he went and allowed himself to be nailed to that cross. And there upon the cross, he took upon himself the sin of the whole world. Why? Because he loves us. They took him from the cross and placed him in a tomb and sealed that tomb. But praise be to God, he arose victorious the third day. Because he lives, we can live. That's how much God loves people. That's how much God loves you. That's what life is about, men and women. It's not about amassing a fortune. It's not about making a name for yourself. It's about honoring and serving and glorifying the Lord Jesus and letting his gospel go forth to the ends of the earth. And it starts with us and it starts here and it starts now and it starts in my life, in my wife's life, in my family's life and in your life is Jesus Christ first place in your life. Some are struggling today. Man, maybe your life's a wreck and it's a mess. Yet look at your life. What part is Christ playing? Do you spend any time in the God's word? Do you spend any time in prayer? Do you ever look around you and realize that you're in a community of so many unchurched people? So many of them that do not know the Lord Jesus yet. You don't care. You don't care. Your heart is cold. Your heart is hardened. You're like Jonah sitting out there under that old gourd saying, I love this gourd. And God's saying, Jonah, wake up. That's a gourd. It's going to pass away. But the souls of those men and women are going to live forever, eternally somewhere. And I want you to reach them with the gospel. Are you passionate about what God is passionate about? I don't know about you, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad, eternally glad that someone cared about me. Someone shared the gospel with me. Someone said, hey, look what the Bible says. The Bible says, Rodney, you're lost. You're destined for hell. But Jesus Christ died in your place. Jesus Christ shed his blood in your place. Jesus Christ arose for you. And Rodney, if you'll place your faith, your trust in Jesus, he'll forgive your sin, make you a son of God and give you eternal life. And it's free for the asking. It wasn't cheap. It cost Jesus everything. But it's free to you if you will take it by grace through faith. How about your priorities today? Do you care about what God cares about? I believe the book of Jonah ends with a question on purpose. This is a question each one of us must answer. Do you care about people, God says, like I care about people? Do you care about souls like I care about souls? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Before I pray, I want you to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to your heart. And I want you to be very honest with him today. As you look at your calendar, you look at your checkbook, you look at your time, your passions, your priorities. Is he reflected in first place? Is he clearly above everything and everyone else? Are you in fellowship with the Lord today? Do you care about what God cares about? Do you care about people? Do you care about those hurting and broken and lost? Do you care about what God cares about? Listen, the moment we're going to sing... This altar is open and today maybe you need to come and you need to bow and rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I want to be used the rest of my days to do what you want me to do. I want my life to count for Christ. I want to be passionate about what you're passionate about. Use my life to reach people with the gospel 
and to glorify you. Use my life. And maybe you're here today and you never trusted Christ as Savior. Listen, come, friend. This is what you're searching for. This is who you're searching for. The Lord Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. He'll receive you into himself today and give you eternal life. You'll come in by grace through faith this morning. I'll invite you to come as well. Do you care about what God cares about? Father, use us. Use us, oh God. Help us. Forgive us. We get so caught up with the gourds of this world and the gourds of this life. Instead of being caught up with you. Help us to care about people. To love people. To reach out with the gospel to people. To realize that we're to be passionate about you and your calling on our lives. Work at this invitation, I pray. In the Savior's name. Amen.